Okay, let's turn to Matthew 7. Matthew 7, verse 15. We'll read to verse 20. Beware of false prophets, which come to you in sheep's clothing, but inwardly they are ravening wolves. You shall know them by their fruits. Do men gather grapes of thorns or figs of thistles? Even so, every good tree brings forth good fruit, but a corrupt tree brings forth evil fruit. A good tree cannot bring forth evil fruit, neither can a corrupt tree bring forth good fruit. Every tree that brings not forth good fruit is hewn down and cast into the fire. Wherefore, by their fruits, you shall know them. Let's pray once again. Father in heaven, as we look now to the words of your son Jesus, we ask that you would bridge the gap between 2,000 years, and Lord, that you would help us to see the relevancy of this passage the relevancy of this teaching that Jesus gave on the mount, that you would speak to each one of us, that you would enable us to apply it to our own lives and hear the truth of what you're saying. May you give us wisdom, give us a love for the truth, and give us a vision, Lord, of yourself this morning. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Now, Matthew chapter 7, verse 13 to verse 27. 13 begins at enter at the straight gate, and uh, to 27 is where the Sermon on the Mount ends. This is known by commentators, and I agree with them, as the epilogue of the Sermon on the Mount, or the closing section of the Sermon on the Mount. Jesus is wrapping up, starting in verse 13 all the way to verse 27. And from 13 to 27, there's one theme. All the teachings from 13 to 27 are connected. He's bringing it to a close. He's bringing his teaching of the Sermon on the Mount to a close. And the epilogue, if you've noticed, is all a warning. The whole thing is a warning. Now, previously in the Sermon on the Mount, he's giving us many teachings and correcting our view about the law and making us think rightly about what true morality is. But now Jesus completely focuses in on giving us a warning. A warning that we would enter into the kingdom of God. Notice the theme. Enter in at the straight gate. Beware of false prophets. Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, shall enter in. Don't build upon the sand. Hear my words and do nothing. He's giving a warning. Isn't it amazing that Jesus warns us when he closes the Sermon on the Mount? Life is very serious to the Son of God when he comes. It's not casual. 
when Jesus came out of heaven, he had a very serious message to bring, a message of God's love. But remember how that love is demonstrated against the backdrop of a very serious concern that each one of us are in danger and need to be warned and need to enter in. But notice all that it's not just about entering in, but it's also about knowing God. That the whole point isn't merely that you'd get into the kingdom of God and that's the end of the story, but that you would know the Father who's in heaven. If you don't enter into the kingdom of God, it means you never knew God, or also, verse 23, he never knew you. And the theme of the Sermon on the Mount is entering into the kingdom, but knowing God, coming in and knowing him, and knowing who the Father is through the Son. The connection with our passage this morning and the passage we looked at last week is that we are to beware of false prophets because false prophets lead us down the broad road that leads to destruction. Now, if you remember last week, we talked about this, that there are two roads. We define this as the road of righteousness by works and the road of righteousness by faith. Both roads claim to lead you into the kingdom of God. Both roads say, have a big sign and say, this way to the kingdom, this way to knowing God. But one says, this way is the way of obedience to the law, obedience to the commandments, being a good person and trying to make yourself right with God and so be acceptable to enter into the kingdom. And one way says, you are not acceptable, you are not obedient, but trust in the love and the grace of God. We also know that these two ways are very different in that most people are on the broad road that leads to destruction and very few are on the narrow road that leads to life. Now here's a paradox, brothers and sisters. Have you ever thought about this? The Christian gospel is often accused of being too easy, is it not? And this passage is pointed to, look, it says it's very difficult to get into the kingdom of God. And, they, and they, the, those who take the broad road that lead to destruction say that the way of righteousness by works is actually the way that's hard because you have to work at it. But notice the paradox. While we as Christians say it's very easy to be saved, all you need to do is believe, isn't it interesting that we also understand that very few people will be saved? So while we say it's easy, and it is to get into the kingdom of heaven, most people won't get in. On the other hand, those who say it's very difficult to get into the kingdom of heaven because you have to work for it, basically say that everyone's going to go to the kingdom of heaven. Isn't that interesting? So they present what's called the hard way, but everyone gets in. Hardly anyone goes to hell in their view. And we present what's called the easy way, and hardly anybody gets in. And I think you know, in truth, what is the hard way by the fact that only a few will make it? It's an interesting paradox. The revelation of which way is actually the difficult way is the one that only few are on. Jesus warns us of false prophets. If Jesus warns us of false prophets, then each one of us should take a serious look at this Jesus doesn't only warn us of false prophets here, but in other places also. False prophets have been a reality ever since the very beginning. 
you read of false prophets in the Old Testament. The people in the Old Testament had to deal with false teachers and false prophets who led people astray down this broad path that leads to destruction. Jesus in his own day warned people about false prophets that existed in his day. And we even see in the early church false prophets. And today, no less than in the past, we also must deal with false prophets. I think even more so. After 2,000 years, there's a lot of false prophets and false teaching and a lot of experience that the devil has of leading people down the broad road that leads to destruction. Do you understand the reality of this, that you have to deal with false prophets today in your own life? If you're going to enter the kingdom of heaven, brothers and sisters, if you are going to make it, you will need to beware of false prophets. Just as Christ and the apostles preached to us the narrow way, false prophets preached to us the broad way. And you must go down one of those two roads. So the question is, who are you going to listen to? Did you know that life is ultimately about who you give your attention to? That's what life is about. That's what religion is about. That's what salvation is about. It's ultimately a battle for your attention. The devil and his prophets are calling you to listen to them, and God and his apostles and prophets are calling you to listen to them. Who you attend to will determine your eternal destiny. Therefore, it's extremely important that we are aware of what is true, who is true, and who is false. It's very important that we understand the dangers of false prophets. So the question is, that we'll look at this morning, if it's that important to understand false prophets, to detect them and to beware of them, how do we detect them? How do you know when someone is a false prophet or not? How do you know that I'm not a false prophet? You guys come and listen to me Sunday after Sunday. How do you know I'm not leading you down the way of destruction? How can you know who a false prophet is? Well, first of all, we need to understand that false prophets don't come to you as false prophets. Right? They don't say, hi, I work for the devil. <laughs> I have, your, I have your worst at heart. I'm seeking to lead you to destruction. Listen to me and you'll be destroyed. They don't say that, do they? In fact, it's just the opposite. False prophets come to you and they say, Hi, I'm speaking for God. I have your best interest at heart. And if you follow me, you'll avoid destruction and you'll enter the kingdom of God. You'll have life if you follow me. They come to you as true prophets. Jesus says this famous warning, Beware of false prophets which come to you, verse 15, in sheep's clothing, but inwardly they're ravening wolves. That means what they appear to be is the exact opposite of what they are. What they are is not what they appear to be. And so you need to be able to detect them. They appear harmless. They appear good. They don't appear dangerous. They appear harmless, but in fact they are dangerous. They appear good, but in fact they are evil. 
They appear to be true, but in fact they are false. And we have to be aware of this difficulty of appearance. We have to be aware of this, that what they seem to be isn't what they actually are. So how do you detect them then? And Jesus gives us the tool to detect them. He says, you shall know them by their fruits. Let me suggest that once you know the tools or the tool to detect a false prophet, it doesn't become very difficult anymore. What makes it difficult is when you're not aware of the tool. What makes it difficult is when you don't realize they come to you in sheep's clothing and you don't know how to detect what really is on the inside. But once you know, then you're able to detect them. Jesus doesn't just leave us hanging and say, beware of false prophets. They're going to come to you in sheep's clothing, but inwardly they're ravening wolves and it's going to be really difficult for you to know who they are and you're probably not going to know who they are until it's too late. He didn't say that. He gives us a tool to detect them so that we might detect them, so that we don't get deceived by their appearance. It's because people don't know how to detect them that they get deceived. They're not aware of how to detect. So how do we reveal the nature of what's on the inside? What is the fruit that Jesus is speaking of here? Well, let's see what it says. Read with me. Verse 16. You shall know them by their fruits. Do men gather grapes of thorns or figs of thistles. Now when you come up, have you ever went raspberry picking or strawberry picking or anything like that? Maybe some of you on grape picking. If you find a thorn, do you look for raspberries on it? Or if you go up to uh, just some kind of a weed, do you look under the leaves just in case there's something there? Once you determine it's a weed, you don't look anymore, right? Jesus is giving a very practical tool here. It's silly. No, you don't gather grapes from thorns or fig from thistles. Even so, every good tree brings forth good fruit, but a corrupt tree brings forth evil fruit. A good tree cannot bring forth evil fruit, neither can a corrupt tree bring forth good fruit. Notice an evil tree can't bring forth good fruit. So once you determine it's an evil tree, you don't look there anymore. Once you determine it's a bunch of weeds, you don't come back next year to see if maybe there'll be raspberries on it. It's a weed. There's not going to be any fruit on it because it's a completely different nature. Every tree that it brings not forth good fruit is hewn down and cast into the fire, wherefore by your fruits you shall know them. Notice that Jesus does not explicitly tell us here exactly what the fruit is, does he? In this passage, in Matthew anyway. But before we talk about what the fruit is, I'd like to talk about what the fruit isn't. What the fruit is not. And I'm taking this from clues in the passage itself. Now the most popular interpretation of this passage by the Christian church, which is very ironic, is that the fruit that Jesus is referring to here when he says you shall know them by their fruits is something like the fruit of the Spirit, Galatians chapter 5, the prophet's lifestyle, the prophet's character, the prophet's good deeds. It sounds good and it sounds right. Because a person's lifestyle, a person's character, and a person's good deeds and the fruit of the Spirit are very good and important. We can all agree with that. 
But that's the most popular inter interpretation about this, that you're going to know a false prophet is false by his lifestyle, by whether he has peace, joy, love, kindness, good deeds, his character. I want to suggest this morning that that's not correct, that that's not what Jesus is referring to. First of all, if that were the case, then the false prophet wouldn't appear harmless, but dangerous. So if someone got up and started to preach about God and religion, but you looked at his lifestyle and you realized, man, this guy's just a complete mess. He's uh, committing adultery. He's getting drunk on the weekends. He hates people. He's angry when you try to talk to him. This guy, I don't think, is very... Uh, this is not someone that I should listen to. This person seems to be full of sin. Whereas Jesus says they come to you and they appear harmless. They appear good. They appear to be true. And I want to suggest that it's not talking about their character. The reality is, brothers and sisters, is that false prophets can be sincere, kind. They can do good deeds. They can do miracles. They can have much to commend themselves. If you just judge based upon the character or the lifestyle of the you can be deceived. Let me give you an example. I think that most people think that Gandhi, Mahatma Gandhi, was an uh, upstanding individual morally. Some people might disagree with that. But I think generally we would agree so. I was reading about Gandhi the other day, just from people who knew him. And the things that they say about this man Gandhi was that he was selfless, kind, compassionate, caring, self-controlled, a model of goodness in people's eyes. Now, Gandhi didn't believe in the gospel of Jesus Christ. But are we to assume that because he has a character that probably puts most of us to shame, that therefore he must be a true prophet because the test of a prophet is the, is the character according to Jesus, right? As long as we, we think that they're not super sinful and they're about love and good deeds, then they must be true. I think Ghani's just one example, and there's many examples of people who aren't Christians but could fool you by their character. Another problem with that view, that interpretation, is that Jesus says... In verse 18, a good tree cannot bring forth evil fruit. Neither can a bad tree bring forth good fruit. Now the important Greek word here is cannot. It literally means it doesn't have the power to do so. It is not possible for a bad tree to bring forth good fruit or for a good tree to bring forth bad fruit. So... If fruit is talking about good deeds, it would be impossible for a prophet to bring forth bad deeds if he was a good prophet, and impossible for a false prophet to bring forth any good deeds whatsoever. And do you understand how that creates a problem in interpreting it to be your good deeds? Did Gandhi do any good deeds? Then he must be a good tree, because a good tree can't bring forth bad deeds, and a bad tree can't bring forth good deeds. Or if we look to the Bible, was David a prophet? Yes, he was. According to Scripture, David was a prophet, and the Spirit of God spoke through his mouth. Well, 
If I were to take this test of Jesus and apply it to David's character, a good tree cannot bear any bad fruit. It is impossible that I might suggest David wasn't really a prophet. I think we need to look at this a little bit more closely. Before we move on to what it is, I want to suggest one other thing that fruit is not, and I think this should be obvious. Fruit is not homiletical skills. Fruit is not the talent of the false prophet. There are false prophets. There are people in this world that are amazing speakers, amazing orders, and sometimes it seems as if they're divinely inspired. They're so amazing. And you think, God must be speaking through this man because of his passion, his, his wit, his skill. People do get captivated by passion. And you think, God must be speaking through this man. But talent is not what Jesus is talking about here either. Just quote C.H. Spurgeon. He says, decaying meat. You ever smelled decaying meat or seen it? Dressed well and served upon fancy wear is still unfit for men. Who thrusts his arm into the fire because its flame is brilliant? Who knowingly drinks from a poisoned cup because the bubbles on the brim reflect the colors of the rainbow? As we would not be fascinated by the blue hues of a serpent, so neither should we be thrown off our guard by the talents of an unsound theologian. Someone comes to you and brings falsehood, but they bring it in such a skillful and captivating, passionate manner. We shouldn't, Spurgeon says, be thrown off our guard by that. What, what does the prophet say? Is it decaying meat or is it good for food? So what is the fruit that we're to look for? I want to give you the exegetical answer. That means not what I think. I want to give you what the text actually says, what the Bible actually says the fruit is. Turn with me to Matthew chapter 12. We're going to look at two passages to determine this. Matthew chapter 12. I read Matthew chapter 7 many, many, many times before I ever, it ever clued into me what the fruit he was talking about is. I think we are often guilty of reading the Bible sloppily and not really paying careful attention to what the Bible actually says about itself. Matthew chapter 12, verse 32. I'm going to read the passage, and I'll, as we read it, I want you to think about what the fruit is. What does Jesus say the fruit is? So a little later in, in Matthew, Jesus brings up the very same issue of a tree bearing fruit. And here's what he says. Matthew 12, verse 32. And whosoever speaks a word against the Son of Man, it shall be forgiven him, but whoever speaks against the Holy Ghost, it shall not be forgiven him, neither in this world or in the world to come. Either make the tree good and his fruit good, or else make the tree corrupt and his fruit corrupt, for the tree is known by his fruit. O oh, generation of vipers, how can you, being evil, speak good things? For out of the abundance of the heart the mouth speaks." A good man out of the good treasure of the heart 
brings forth good things. And an evil man, out of the evil treasure of his heart, brings forth evil things. But I say to you, every idle word that men shall speak, they shall give account thereof in the day of judgment. For by your words you shall be justified, and by your words you shall be condemned. What in this passage is the fruit that Jesus is referring to? Anybody notice? The words. O generation of vipers, how can you being evil, you are evil, this would refer to a false prophet, how can you being evil speak good things? It's not possible. If you're evil, how can you speak good things? Out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. One of the fundamental teachings of the Bible and of Jesus is that what comes out of your mouth reveals what's on the inside of you. Out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. So if someone looks good on the outside, but you want to know what's on the inside, Jesus says, listen to their words. Because a good man, out of the good treasure of his heart, brings forth out of his mouth good things. And an evil man, likewise, brings forth evil things. And now, just so you can see that this is what Jesus is talking about, turn with me to Luke chapter 6. This is Luke's version of the Sermon on the Mount, Luke 6. He gives the Beatitudes. He gives many of the same teachings here in Luke 6 as on the Sermon on the Mount. But you'll notice that, G in, that Luke connects the passage in Matthew 7 and the passage in Matthew 12 together on the Sermon on the Mount. Just to show you, that's exactly what Jesus is talking about. Luke 6, verse 43. So he's just spoken about, in Luke 6, uh, not being a hypocrite, take the beam out of your own eye. And Luke 6, verse 43, For a good tree brings not forth corrupt fruit, neither does a corrupt tree bring forth good fruit. For every tree is known by his own fruit. For of thorns men do not gather figs, nor of bramble bushes do they gather grapes. A good man, out of the good treasure of his heart, brings forth that which is good, and an evil man, out of the evil treasure of his heart, brings forth that which is evil. For of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. So there, Jesus connects, Luke connects those two things, the two sayings of Jesus. So let me suggest to you that you know a false prophet by what he says. A prophet, the meaning of a prophet, is someone who speaks for God. The Hebrew word navi means a spokesman or a mouthpiece that God speaks through. So the issue of a prophet has to do with what they say. That's the whole issue. Do they speak the truth for God or do they speak lies? The test of the prophet has always been this. If you look to the Old Testament, the Old Testament warns about false prophets and tells you the way to detect them is by what they say. Deuteronomy chapter 13, 1 to 5, it says if a prophet comes to you and does a million miracles and everyone's wowed by him, but what he says is to lead you away from the Lord, then you're to stone that prophet. It's not what he does. It's not how impressive he is. It's what he says. In Isaiah, it warns us, if a prophet doesn't speak according to the law, then there's no light in him. 
If he says anything that's contrary to the law, then there's no light in him. That, by the way, is why Jewish people reject Christ and reject Christians. It's because they think that what we teach is contrary to the law. Of course, we believe what they believe is contrary to the law. And we don't believe what we believe is contrary to the law. But the whole issue of a prophet is what they say. Because that's what a prophet is. One who speaks for God. So, while character is very important, and no one's going to argue that, it isn't about a man saying true things, but his character isn't up to par that makes him a false prophet. It's a man who maybe his character looks good, but he's speaking false things. And let me suggest to you, brothers and sisters, if you think it's the first way, if you think Jesus is talking about a man's character, let me suggest that you're not going to have the tools to detect a false prophet. And I believe that many people in this world, they get deceived by false prophets because they merely look at the character of the person and say, he's such a good person. He's so passionate. He can do miracles. He's such a good guy. He, he's got his life together. I want my life to be together too. And it's not about what the guy says. They're just going to eat everything he says because they're already convinced he's a true prophet based upon his outward appearance. But it's the exact opposite. We're to be listening to what they say. Let me ask you. If you have a man who is morally impeccable telling you a false gospel, is he a true prophet? You should settle that in your own heart. You can't, you can't see any sin in this person. Now, you know all have sinned, but the guy has his life together morally, it seems. If he speaks to you a false gospel, is he a true prophet? What do you think? You have to settle that in your own heart. If you say, no, he's not a true prophet because he's speaking a false gospel, then you have to reevaluate your interpretation of Matthew 7 here. Vice versa. Suppose you find a man who his life isn't together morally, but he's speaking a true gospel. Now, we're not arguing here that it's, you should, that having, your, having a bad character is not important. It is. But if you find a man like Leonardo whose life isn't together, <laughs> and he's speaking, of, he's speaking the gospel to you, do we say he's a false prophet because he's, even though he's speaking the truth, he, his life's not together? Let me suggest no. Remember in Philippians? The Apostle Paul's in prison and he gets word that there's people preaching the gospel out there and they're preaching it because of strife and envy, right? They're trying to add afflictions to his bonds. And what does Paul say? You get as far away from you can as those people because they're false prophets. Is that what he says? No, he says, I praise God that the gospel is being preached. Now, that granted the gospel is being preached. He knows that these guys are preaching the gospel. Their motivation for doing it is wrong, but he condones them. He says, it's, it's good the gospel is being preached. People will be saved and come to know God. Yeah, their motive is bad, their character is bad, and that's not a good thing. But what they say isn't false. In Acts chapter 20... When Paul warns about false prophets, he says, wolves will come up from among you. Speaking perverse things. That's Acts 20, 29 to 31. 
Paul points out that they speak perverse things. That's the problem with these guys. They come up from among you, not from outside, and they speak perverse things. What they say is wrong. Turn with me to 2 Corinthians chapter 11. I think this is very important to look at. 2 Corinthians chapter 11. And look at verse 3. The Apostle Paul was constantly dealing with false prophets. Because he loved and cared about people. Verse 3. Paul says, I fear, lest by any means, as the serpent beguiled Eve through his subtlety, so your minds should be corrupted from the simplicity that is in Christ. Or the singleness that is in Christ from simply believing that Jesus is all you need. That you need other things. Notice it's their minds that are at stake from thinking that Jesus is not all you need. The issue of the false prophets is that the false prophets would teach them to believe that Jesus isn't enough. For if he that comes preaches another Jesus whom we have not preached, or if you receive another spirit which you have not received, or another gospel which you have not accepted, you might well bear with him. At verse 13. This is such an important little passage. For such are false apostles, deceitful workers. And look what they do. They transform themselves into the apostles of Christ. And it's not a marvel. We shouldn't be surprised by this. Learning from Jesus, they come in sheep's clothing. For Satan himself is transformed into an angel of light. That's what he looks like when he comes to you. Pure, brilliant, clean, holy. Therefore, it is no great thing if his ministers, his servants, the devil's servants, also are transformed as the ministers of, and this is a shocking thing, righteousness, whose end shall be according to their works. So here Paul says, these false prophets come to you and what they appear to bring is righteousness. They appear to bring righteousness. Donald Gray Barnhouse said, when you're looking for the devil, be sure to look in the pulpit. Okay? If you're looking for false prophets, you're going to find them in the business of righteousness, not necessarily in the business of unrighteousness. Now, the devil would never say that, would he? The devil always makes you think, the devil, he's out there. The false guys are out there in the bars, in the shady places. That's where the devil is when all along he's in the midst of the church, of religion, of light and righteousness. The devil always says the devil's out there. I hear that all the time from, well, false teachers. They give you the impression, you're safe here where you're being a good person with the rest of us. You're safe here. Don't go out there where the devil is. The devil's here preaching righteousness. The devil's within preaching righteousness, preaching goodness, preaching how to be a good person, preaching how to get to heaven, preaching how to enter the kingdom of God. 
preaching how to make yourself acceptable before God apart from faith in Christ, apart from single, the singularity of just believing in Jesus. That's what a false prophet does. Who were the false prophets that Jesus were referring to specifically here? But the Pharisees. In Matthew 7, when Jesus says, beware of false prophets, false teachers, the Pharisees, he was calling them out. The prophets of the Old Testament called out the, fa- the false prophets in their day. And we must call out the false prophets in our day as well. False prophets in our day tell you that the broad road is the one that leads to life. False prophets in our day, 2012, tell you that most people are going to go to heaven. That's what a false prophet says. Most people are going to go to heaven. Only a few people will go to hell. They're really bad ones. False prophets comfort you. That's why they get, they're so attractive. They comfort you by saying you're not in danger. Peace. Peace for you, my friend. You are a good person. You're not perfect. God knows that. That's what false prophets say today. False prophets look down at others and think they're better than others. And they draw these categories and they say, the bad people over here and the good people over here, come join us in the, in the, and be a good person with us. They teach you how to be a son of hell like themselves. False prophets tell you that salvation is obtained by your works. Mark this. Anyone who tells you that you are forgiven, saved, or enter the kingdom of God through obedience to the commandments is a false teacher. Those same false teachers, while it appears that they take the commandments seriously because they're teaching that you should obey the commandments, actually don't take the commandments seriously at all. Because when they break the commandments, they justify it and say, it's just a mistake, we all do it. I know I'm not perfect, but God doesn't require perfection. If you read what it says in the scriptures, according to the law, God does require perfection. These are classic lies of the devil. We can't go to all the passages that I'd like to go to, but maybe we'll just go to one. If you turn with me to Micah chapter 3, I wanted to go to Ezekiel and Jeremiah and Isaiah and Micah just to give you a sampling of the issue. But I think Micah will suffice. Micah chapter 3, verse 5. This is just very typical. This passage is very typical throughout the prophets where the true prophets are calling out the false prophets. So this is just a sampling. It's not just unique to Micah. Micah's a little book. Maybe I should have went to Ezekiel, but (laughs) you can find it. Before Nahum and after Jonah. Micah chapter 3, verse 5. Thus saith the Lord concerning the prophets that make my people err, that bite with their teeth. By the way, this is an example. Did you know throughout the Old Testament, the prophets call the false prophets wolves and beasts who devour the people? They bite with their teeth and cry. So they're biting the people, and what are they saying? Peace. They're biting the people by saying peace. It doesn't... 
it's not what it appears to be, right? We think they're inwardly ravening wolves. That means they're a bunch of evil people that want to pull you away into sinful alleys. No, they're, they're biting you and devouring you when they say peace. Peace to you. It looks all good, doesn't it? Peace. And he that putteth not into their mouths, they even prepare war against him. That's God. Therefore night shall be unto you, that you shall not have vision. It shall be dark unto you, that you shall not divine. The sun shall go down over the prophets, and the day shall be dark over them. Then shall the seers be ashamed, and the diviners confounded. Yea, they shall all cover their lips, for there is no answer from God. But look at the contrast in verse 8 of a true prophet. But truly I am full of the power of the Spirit of the Lord and of judgment and of might to declare unto Jacob his transgression and to Israel his sin. That's the difference between a false prophet and a true prophet. A false prophet constantly tells you, you're good, you're good, you're okay. Yeah, you sin, but you're not perfect and God knows it's okay, it's a mistake, you'll make it. And the true prophet says, you're not okay. A true prophet is like Jesus at the end of the Sermon on the Mount, warning, or Jesus in the whole Sermon on the Mount. You think you're obedient? You're not. You're guilty. You're in danger. Not because God is cruel, but because God is just, and you need salvation. And salvation isn't going to be found by your being a good person because you're not one. Salvation is only found through the grace of God not putting your trust in how good you are, but in how good God is. Salvation is found by grace through faith in him. Brothers and sisters, God wants you to be comforted. God wants you to have peace. You believe that. Just because the false prophets say peace doesn't mean God doesn't want you to have peace. Just because the false prophets falsely comfort you doesn't mean that God doesn't want you to be comforted. In fact, in the scriptures, he wants you to be comforted, it says. But he wants you to be comforted only and have peace only through the right way that is Jesus. Until you put your faith in Jesus Christ, until you believe the gospel of Jesus Christ, there is no real peace. Everything is an illusion. All comfort is an illusion. Until you're actually forgiven of your sins and until you're actually right with God through the death of Christ and faith in him, there is no real peace. But there is real peace in Christ. There is real comfort in Christ. If you're here this morning and you're, you're trembling because of your sin, and maybe you are feeling condemned because of your sin? The answer is not, don't worry about it. God's not really going to condemn you. The answer is, yes, sin deserves hell and punishment. Yes, without Christ you should tremble, but there is comfort and there is peace in Jesus Christ. And you can have it in him. So what then is the best safeguard against a false prophet? It's to, be, it's to know the gospel is to be familiar with the scriptures and it's to detect when a false prophet is either speaking the true gospel or speaking a false gospel. J.C. Ryle, the pastor of the 1800s said, happy is he who prays over his Bible and knows the difference between truth and error in religion. There is a difference and we are meant to know the difference 
and to use our knowledge. That's the tool to use. That's how you know someone is from God or someone is not. The gospel is the message from God. Anyone who preaches the gospel can be said to be, in the sense, a prophet speaking the word of God to people. This is what God says. God says peace to you through Jesus Christ, not through any other way. God warns you about two paths and warns you to enter in and to seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. God speaks this message to you because God loves you. And as we have already said, just as words reveal the heart, so the word of God reveals the heart of God. Jesus Christ and his death on the cross and the message of salvation through him reveals the heart of God also. So in the end, false prophets are actually corrupting your knowledge of who God is. And the true prophets are telling you the truth about who God is. So in closing, what comes out of your mouth? Ask yourself, is it good fruit or is it bad fruit? Do you tell people the gospel or do you tell them something other than that? Or another question this morning to ask, who are you giving your attention to? As we've said, it's a battle for your attention. Who are you listening to? Are you listening to those so-called prophets who tell you that in order for you to be saved, you must follow the rules and keep the commandments? Something that they themselves don't do. Or are you listening to the apostolic message of the Bible that salvation is by grace? Heed Jesus' warning, brothers and sisters, because it's so serious and you don't want to be deceived by a false prophet. Let's pray. Father in heaven, we thank you for your son who reveals to us who you are. And we thank you that by believing, we are reconciled and come to know you and have relationship with you. And Lord, we thank you for these warnings that you give us because you love us. Thank you for telling the truth about sin and about judgment. May each one of us here find our peace in Jesus Christ and not in anything else. And I pray that we would all give heed to Jesus' words this morning and for the rest of our lives, that we would beware of false prophets who will come and who we have to deal with. May we know our Bibles and may we know the gospel clearly. And thank you for giving us the tool to detect the true from the false. Thank you for saving us by your grace. We love you because you first loved us. And we pray this in the name of your Son, Jesus Christ. Amen.